This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, they were no hit a second time. And then they went on to score nine runs the next game. Yeah, that seems about right for this team. This is the Selby is Godcast. You're listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two at the wall. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Well, we record this on Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to you all. Yes, all of you. Even if you happen to be listening on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, we hope it was a happy one. And this weekend was... It was happy in some regard and not so happy in some others. When you said, Zach, that this team is capable of making it look like a World Series contender for a week, then look like they don't even deserve to be on the field on certain days. Did you anticipate that would be the case over a two-day stretch? Did you think it was going to happen that quickly? (laughs) Yeah, so the baseball gods were watching the battle for the Ohio Cup, which is going to have to hang in the balance for an extra three months now. Uh, And they saw the Indians get no hit Friday night. They saw the Indians' offense look unstoppable Saturday. And so they were just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we need a day to to evaluate this and try to figure this team out. So can you guys just take a break and not play on Sunday? Um, it, it <laughs> yeah, yes and no. I mean, I, I think I expected this team to be inconsistent, but um, I think this weekend <laughs> is a perfect microcosm for what you get when you have a really young team and so many parts that you don't know if they fit or not. And in, in fairness to Wade Miley, he's been throwing the ball pretty well this year but when you look at the matchups I mean considering what their careers are that I probably would have guessed the other way around based on what the the Reds rotation looked like coming into this series I would I would not have thought yeah oh yeah Wade Miley is certainly the guy that's going to go out there and throw the no hitter but again he's having a nice year um and maybe kind of indicative of the sort of pitcher that gives the Indians problems this year Uh, but yeah weird weekend again to wrap our brains around, but I I get the feeling we're going to be saying that a lot this year. Yeah. So the Indians have faced more changeups than any team in baseball. And this is not new in 2019, the last full season where you played a full schedule. They saw more changeups than any other team that year as well. The, The book is out. I don't know if Lucas Giolito is the guy who made this public knowledge when a couple of years ago he said, I think he had a, just pitched a gem against in Cleveland and said, well, I just kept throwing changeups and they couldn't hit him. So I just continued to throw <laughs> changeups. Um, and that led to a fun interaction I had with Ty Van Berglio. But um, it, it's not a secret. Like this team, I know some of the, the pieces in the lineup have changed, but the approach against changeups, for whatever reason, this team just doesn't do well. And even Terry Francona, when I asked him yesterday or Saturday, 
like what is it just that you face a lot of pitchers who throw changeups, or do teams just know that you guys struggle with that? And he said it's both. And he's like, we we've shown that we've struggled, and they're going to keep throwing that pitch um, until we prove we can hit it. And so you look at this weekend and Wade Miley, a junk baller who throws all nothing harder than eighty seven miles an hour, and the Indians don't even get a hit off of him. And then you have Luis Castillo, whose bread and butter is a changeup, yep. and they score nine runs. So <laughs> I don't know if that's going to deter pitchers from throwing changeups against this team, but um, it's it's just the perfect way to sum up this team where you have people arguing on Twitter, like, oh, getting no hit twice is so embarrassing. And then people countering and saying, they're right. They're either in first place or they're a half game behind. Like, it's not that big of a deal. So it, it's... This team was not made for social media because <laughs> they are going to look. What team like they, is? Yeah. <laughs> I, they're they're going like, to look like Titans one day and just bottom feeders the next. Yeah, I challenge you to find the team that is made for social media. Uh, I don't know which one. It's certainly not the one that is looking for rodents in the <laughs> dugout. Um, but that's a story for another day. Well, it is the Selby's Godcast. I'm TJ Zuby. Wait, 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 wait. He wait. is Zach. Is Meisel. it a story for another day? Do you believe the rat raccoon story? No, nobody does. Nobody on the what planet. What if it's actually true, it. though? <laughs> it's not a lie if you believe it. We are the leading conspiracy theory podcast. <laughs> that would be the bigger shock. And I think Hammy summed it up best last night as I was listening to the the broadcast. What are the people that work at City Field? And that run that joint think as your superstars <laughs> are claiming that you have a rodent infestation at your ballpark. Like, come on down and, and spot the raccoons and the rats. And if, if Lindor th- actually think, I mean, this gives us a gateway into our thinking or his thinking on does, does he think that the, the rodents in New York, the rat problem, like you could mistake them for a raccoon or a possum. And are they truly like is that what he's expecting to see the next time he sees a rat in New York? Wow. I just love how is that the you norm? See the players who are on the opposite side of the dugout railing, how quickly they sprinted into action and <laughs> with so much like energy and gusto. Urgency, yeah. <laughs> and then to think, oh, they were just doing that because there was a rat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just sure. Watching that's, that video with that in mind. That's, that's that's how I react when when if you if we were to put this on into our own lives and and we were at Progressive Field and let's say we were in the dugout waiting for a manager and one of you said, "Oh my gosh, there is a rat or raccoon down this tunnel." The thing that I am not going to be doing is sprinting to go see it. I'm probably <laughs> going to go in the other direction. And I love that even uh, the, the beat writer for MLB.com had to to reflect back on a conversation he had with one of the players. And I think he said 2018, where they noted how much they hate rats. And so he said, well, if they if they hated rats in 2018, what are they doing? Running into the, the dugout down the <laughs> steps to go see it. Hmm? Hmm? This is... It's one of the things that makes baseball great. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone loves a a squirrel on the field, including Nick Swisher, who tried to field it like a ground ball once. (laughs) 
Uh, I don't know that I can say the same for rats, raccoons, possums, or whatever the case may be. Hey, when a possum showed up in Cleveland, it was supposed to be a good sign, right? So maybe that's good. That's right. The rally possum. Good things ahead for the Mets who are maybe playing a little bit better and Lindor is heating up a little bit, but that's not why people tune into this podcast, is it? No. So uh, first of all, are no hitters cool? Like, are they exciting anymore? I'm kind of tired of them. Well, in this environment, you see them a lot. And I, I saw it again. I saw the takes on Twitter that, well, this just happens because everybody's obsessed with launch angle. The funny thing about that Miley no-hitter against the Indians, they struck out eight times. But for a complete game, especially in today's world, in this economy, <laughs> eight strikeouts for a complete game, not that much. They put the ball in play. It just didn't have any sort of authority. I think that's just a – that no-hitter felt like – there are some no-hitters that I feel like they're – that you could say it's because the hitters have changed, that they're more okay with strikeouts. That felt like one of those no-hitters that would have happened in any era because he was just – for what he has to be to be successful, Wade Miley, he was it on Friday Mm -hmm. night. And keeping hitters off balance, junk balling it up, change-ups – whatever the case may be. I mean, balls were put in play, just they weren't loud outs. There weren't really that many uh, hit. The Luplo one was kind of a, a liner to left field, but even that one wasn't a screamer. It wasn't like, oh, well, it was a barrel ball. There weren't really a lot of close plays outside of that, what I think probably should have been a base hit for Ahmed Rosario on that ball hit up the middle that the second baseman uh, was that Senzel would have had to have been perfect mm-hmm. The field, bounce up, throw it, and then you got Ahmed Rosario with his 29.5 feet per second sprint speed, busting it down the line. I think that one could have gone either way. But really, there weren't many where you, you could say, oh, well, that one should have been a base hit. It wasn't a lot of that. Yeah, it was definitely an old school type outing. Um, you're right. Like, it's just a lot of grounders, a lot of like softly hit fly balls. Um, that's four no hitters already. It's early May. Whoa, whoa! You're counting the seven inning no hitter? No, that would be five. That is five. I've lost track already. That's the thing. the The year of the pitcher, 1968. There were five all year. I think the record is eight. Um, we might get there. The Indians are now the 18th team to be no hit twice in a season. They're the second team to be no hit in the span of a month and they've got five months left to become the first team ever to be no hit three times in a year. Um, so yeah, you say you don't want to see history at the ballpark. You could see it any it, night. Here's the thing though, especially in today's game where it's just really hard to make contact. We've talked about this. I think I went on a rant on it last week. Um, it's hard enough to make contact. You're going to see games like this. Isn't the takeaway here just that – I mean, the takeaway shouldn't be that, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. This proves that this offense is just horrible. Like, if they were – if Carlos Rodon and Wade Miley had thrown one hitters instead of no hitters, the narrative shouldn't change. Like, we know that there are major (laughs) holes in this lineup. We know it's very inconsistent. It's a very young lineup. And, yeah, they they do need to make a few changes – but I think being no hit doesn't like tr- shouldn't drive that home further. If they were one hit in those games, 
it should make the same point, right? Yeah. The same thing can be said. Let's say that Class A keeps it scoreless in the ninth inning. The Indians don't score in the ninth. Maybe they go to the 10th. Somehow the Reds don't score. And the Indians win that game without the benefit of a base hit because the runner starts at second base. And I don't know, there's a ground ball and a fly ball and the Indians win. And they're no hit and they still score a run and they actually win that game. <laughs> Is that different than what we actually did see? Are we somehow saying that the offense is just fine? No, the, the narrative coming into this year has not changed. Is that they have many holes in this lineup. And in some ways, maybe you're answer, answering some questions about the long-term um, standing of guys like Josh Naylor. You know, I don't think he's going anywhere based on what we've seen so far. You're seeing some good things about what's happening in his profile. You know Jose Ramirez is great. You know Fran Mil Reyes is capable of changing the game with any swing, but there's a lot of parts of this offense that still leave us questioning what, what the answer is. We're not any closer to a resolution on Jake Bowers because he has hit the ball a little bit better here recently. And the underlying numbers suggest that he should be better. So it's not like he's played bad enough that they're going to go in a different direction. I don't Mm -hmm. think he's done anything to tell us that he is even the first baseman of the now, considering that they have some other options down at, triple a that i think we'll be seeing soon enough but i nothing has changed so it's not like it's not like those no hitters really like you said drove home a point that we weren't already considering exactly i mean you're getting bottom barrel production in the outfield at first base at catcher and at shortstop and there's no i mean there are certain metrics that suggest things should get better this team as a whole still ranks really well in all of the hard hit exit velocity barrel rate type metrics. So they're doing some things right. And it's a matter of how often they'll be rewarded for that. But like Jimenez is not hit and whoever your catcher is, (laughs) except for Rene Rivera, who's hitting 600, um, the catching, the catchers haven't hit. And whoever's played center field, I mean, like they've in the lineup, they've used four different number two hitters this week. This yeah. week, yeah. So, uh, like, there is a lot to still solve. And look, just because you've been no hit twice, it's not the end of the world. Like, the 2015 Mets were no hit twice, they went to the World Series. The 2015 Dodgers were no hit twice in a week, I think, or nine days, and they won the division. The 1917 White Sox, who could forget them, right? They won the World Series. They were no hit twice. You <laughs> Seems like everybody it. forgets the White Sox when they win the World Series. <laughs> Let's talk about those 1917 White Sox oh, for God. a second. Are we sure we want to? Well, I was doing a deep dive and listen to the first Nemo, Buck. They had a bird and a chick, Zeb and a Reb. They had a Happy, a Ziggy, a Swede a lefty and <laughs> shoeless Joe Jackson. And oh to cap it all off, their manager's name was pants. <laughs> pants Roland. I think his real name was Clarence. So, you know, you can get no hit twice and still be a really cool team that ends up winning the world series. So if the other team loses and he makes some good major, uh, managerial decisions, would you say the other team got pantsed? Could. No, no, you wouldn't say that. Let's flash ahead to 
it, let's hope this game is still around 80 to 100 years into the future. But let's say that it is. <laughs> when whatever the equivalent of you and me are <laughs> at that time, oh, God, if we're still doing this podcast, I, I, yeah, I remember back in my day. <laughs> um, <laughs> are they looking at the names and laughing? I mean, what wh- what is... What are they going to be looking at right now and saying, can, yeah. you, can you imagine watching this shit? Look at this. Like, what is that going to be? I think they're going to now? be really confused and giggling to themselves when they look at, I think it was 2018, that roster, and they see a Yan, a Yandi, and a Yonder. And they're like, <laughs> just confused as hell. <laughs> um. I would I would love to flash forward and see not only what that conversation looks like, but how are people digesting whatever a podcast? Is it just beamed into people's heads? You just think of it and it pulls up in your brain and you can hear us speaking directly to you? Is that the wave of the future? Boy, I don't know. How many uh, Patreon followers do you think we'll have in <laughs> – 2105. Oh, it depends on if the population booms or if Thanos comes and wipes out half of us. I don't know. Or if everybody gets uh, knocked out by falling rockets back into the atmosphere. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Are we out of the woods yet? I keep (laughs) waiting. Well, this podcast ends abruptly, you know what happened. (laughs) A rocket fell on my head. Uh, You'll have to excuse me. Um, But... You know, in some way for the Reds, the Rocket was the Indians' offense the next day landing on them and scoring nine runs. That's what makes this team so hard to, I I guess, grapple with on a daily basis because they can do so many things that just drive home all of the narratives, all of the things that you already have long thought about this team. But then they can come back the next day and look capable of winning this division. I don't want to get too carried away in in mm-hmm. in those one game sample sizes because all of the problems we've said about this offense still very much exist man it also shows you what happens when you just get a little bit of contribution from anybody that's not named Ramirez and Reyes if you can get anything out of a bottom of the lineup and every team can say that to some extent but when you start adding offense from the players that you haven't gotten anything from it, it drastically changes the outlook because you do have, for the most part, and there have been many hiccups so far, but when you have Plesak or Bieber or Savali on the hill, um, and when you have the bullpen that you have, it's the one thing that, especially that bullpen too, when you look at the overall roster, you might think, this really isn't an upper tier team. They're not a top third team in baseball. Like if you're filling out power rankings, but thing, the thing that you have to be honest about when you've got three or four really lethal dominant arms at the back end of your team, it's the one part because of how they can be used and how they can shorten a game. It's the one thing that you can take two or three or four players and really elevate where you stand among other teams because of that dominance, because of that ability to when you get a lead, you typically don't give it up. Was that just your version of a subtweet at me by, by mentioning power rankings? Because I was filling out my weekly power rankings for our, our rankings on The Athletic, and I was looking at whatever all my colleagues had, had put after I entered mine, and 
I couldn't believe it. The Indians were like 23rd, I think. And I'm like, did, did no one pay attention to the week they just had? Like it was a really productive road trip. And I looked, I'm like, okay, where do these people have the Royals? And the Royals were like eighth. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They just swept them in a four game series in their building. And I'm texting you furiously. Like, I can't believe these people don't pay attention. And then I realized <laughs> it was a previous week. Oops. It wasn't this week. Uh, yes and no, because I, the point still stands. It's still when you have a dominant bullpen, you can overcome some of the other warts that you have offensively. And if you tie that into three out of every five turns through your rotation, you're getting mm-hmm. really, really good starting pitching. I mean, I think Plesak has gotten himself back on track to where he needs to be. We can say that about three fifths of this rotation right now. You can look at the overall roster, and if you were just looking at true talent, you would bump them below some teams. But when you have Classe and Karinchek, right now Brian Shaw, uh, you you mix in Nick Sandlin out of left field or (laughs) delivery that you weren't expecting from the side. Um, And everyone else that has been really quite good out of that bullpen, it closes the gap a little bit. And that's what makes it um, capable, I think, in in your mind to consider them being able to hang around in ways that they really shouldn't if you were just looking at true offensive talent. Yeah, it's helped. So we've talked about this and people have, some of people have asked, why sign Cesar Hernandez if you have all these middle infielders? And their thinking at the time was they didn't know if they were going to sign Eddie Rosario. Um, They had traded Lindor and they needed, they didn't know where Ahmed Rosario would end up. They didn't know if Andres Jimenez would make the opening day roster. And they wanted someone who is reliable, who could hit near the top of the order. And you're seeing the reasoning for that over the last week to 10 days where for the first month, Cesar was hitting the ball way harder than he ever had, making really good contact, was not getting rewarded for it at all, was walking a lot, but that was about it. And now you've seen the extra base hits pile up. You've seen him maybe get a little bit better luck on balls and play. And he makes all the sense in the world in that case, especially if he's still running that high walk rate as a leadoff hitter. So that's helping. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like Jordan Luplo, I think we all agree he de- definitely deserved a chance to to try to play every day, and was getting that. And of course, as it so often works, um, he's four for his last forty. So like they're they're still learning. There's there's a lot to figure out. You don't know who are the best options? Like is Harold Ramirez a long-term solution here? Like, I don't know, probably not, but if he's going to keep hitting the ball the other way for extra bases, like he might as he's better than playing Ahmed Rosario every day against righties or, um, you know, sometimes Jake Bowers or, or like you Chang. Like I, I personally think like I, if I were Chris Antonetti, I would call up Owen Miller today and have him replace you Chang on the roster. Um, especially now that Miller has been playing a little bit yeah. more first base. He started there Friday, which I don't think was in their original plans because talking to the AAA manager, he was he spent the alternate site just at second, short, and third. But if he can play there, then you, you know he can. There's nothing he can't do that Yu Chang can. So yeah, I think we we, um, we saw a little bit into organizational thinking when we saw that. You see Nolan mm-hmm. Jones in right field trying to expand versatility of some hitters that I believe we'll be seeing before this season's over. Yeah. That triple a lineup is fun. Uh, you've got like Owen Miller has been hitting fifth, Nolan Jones, sixth and Gabriel Arias seventh. That's, 
I'd, I'd like to see a uh, AAA lineup that has better, more productive hitters in the five, six, seven spots than those guys. <laughs> um, Why don't so, they just yeah, make I, the whole like, major league lineup out of the AAA lineup? I think it brings us back to our main point here, which is you certainly don't want to be on the wrong side of a no-hitter, but <laughs> I mean, the Indians proved they could flush it yeah. come back the next day, so why can't everybody else? Because, look, this offense, we know it's it's not great. You know, They rank near the bottom of the league in most categories, um, so just because they get no hit doesn't change that. If they got two hit, that doesn't change it either. Yeah, and, and to, to get back to one of your points you made about uh, parts of this team that you can make some determinations on, I said it, I think, last week, and I feel even more emphatic about it now, maybe two weeks ago. The fact that Yu Chang is getting at-bats at first base against left-handed pitching, I think that needs to end. You can feel good that you gave him enough of an opportunity coming out of spring training where he's swinging the bat well. And I think some degree of this has to be giving guys the chance when they are hitting well. We we see so many times guys get called up uh, when they're in the midst of a cold streak when a couple of weeks ago they might have been seeing the ball and, and the pitch recognition might have been really good, but they didn't get the call then. They get the call now and it's just not great timing. Then you're trying to make decisions based off of that. With Luplo. They left his bat in the lineup when he was swinging well. He's played himself probably out of some of those at-bats that he was getting. Um, and at the same time, you can make the case with Yu Chang. You gave him the chance when he was he was feeling it offensively. He's hitting the ball over the wall left and right in spring training. Not to say that that is indicative of what is going to happen, but I think there's something to just getting guys the opportunity when they are swinging the bat and feeling really good about themselves. That happened. And you can now as an organization say, we gave him a shot uh, at some sort of role on this team. It isn't working out so far and we need better production out of first base. And at the same time, Owen Miller, who you are expanding the versatility of, Long-term does not fit there at first base, I don't think, with the bat necessarily. Uh, more valuable as a middle infielder or perhaps a third baseman or just maybe doing all of that. But do I think he's a better option against left-handed pitching than Yu Chang is being right now? Absolutely. So I can say when I start to look at elements of this roster, I think one of the most important things is not only looking for answers but then acting on them when you're getting them. And Yu mm-hmm. Chang is giving them an answer right now. He is not suited for that role. It's not that I don't think he can't play a role, but being the platoon uh, partner with Jake Bowers at first base is not for him. That's not where he's best utilized. And at that position, you need to be generating some more offense, especially on this team. You need to find ways to make that happen. Yeah, they've always been of that opinion that, especially with like guys they're going to call up, they want them to be in a groove at the plate when they call them up um, so that they can just build off of that momentum, I guess. The thing with someone like Owen Miller too is you could call him up. I think they need to just identify hitters and you can figure out the positions later because first of all, they have enough defensive versatility where you can move yeah. guys around. But second of all, their defense has sucked anyway. It's like, it doesn't matter if you, if you're going to take a step back, like I think you're already up against the wall. Well, that's what they were um, doing with you Chang to begin with. Just looking yeah. for bats, and then you figure out where they, they fit in later. So Miller has nine hits in his first five games in Columbus. I mean, he had the second – only Cesar Hernandez had more hits during spring training, and he was crushing it at the alternate site too. 
So call him up, stick him at first base against lefties if you want to keep the platoon with Jake Bowers. And then not only that, but like, I mean, I don't know how much longer they want to stick with Andres Jimenez. I'm not saying you need to make a hundred changes right now, but like, I don't know that it would be the worst idea in the world to to give him a little trip to AAA to collect himself, to remind him like you don't have to be Francisco Lindor right now or ever. Like you're not in a competition with Ahmed Rosario. Just like the shortstop position can be yours. You just got to relax a little bit. And then Owen Miller can play some shortstop. Um, or he can he can spare Jose Ramirez and Cesar Hernandez if they ever want to take a day off. So there are ways if guys hit to get them at bats. And I think that's just going to be the way they have to navigate through this season is just keep riding the hot hand and just find a place for him. Well, I think they have to go one way or the other with Jimenez. Uh, early, I understood you, you want to mix in Rosario where you can. That was going to come against left-handed pitching initially. But I, I think you either have to let Jimenez play or you got to send him down. To me, personally, I would rather just stick him at shortstop. You have Right now, you have two guys in your starting staff, two of your mainstays, that are getting ground balls at an above-average rate in Savali and now Plesak. I mean, I think our, our our guy Shackalier might have said this on Twitter earlier today. You have two guys right now that are getting a lot of ground balls. I want my best infield defense, regardless of who's pitching, lefty or righty, for the opposition. When Right now, when Savali and Plesak are on the hill, I need a good starting shortstop. And Ahmed Rosario, I think he has the tools to be a good defensive shortstop, but too often he's either gotten caught out of position um, or just hasn't been able to make plays at the same rate that Jimenez did. I mean, Jimenez just had a really good defensive game on Saturday. But I think they've got to either just put him in there and let him play 80% of the time or send him down. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't want to position him as he can only play in a platoon right now. I don't think that's best for his development. And clearly he's he's been pressing because he is swinging aggressively at so much. Maybe the way to let him calm down is to not think that, you know, he's only going to get into the lineup three or four days a week and instead just let him go play and settle down and above all else, hopefully get settled down defensively so that the infield defense can stop looking like uh, a leaky boat right now because too much is just not getting turned into outs uh, when it's generated even some decent contact on the infield. If it's on the ground, you got to find a way to turn that into an out. And, and now you have Savali, you have Plesak. And in, in the ninth inning, especially when you have Class A, I need good infield defense. So that, that to me is getting Jimenez on the field. No doubt. And I think that the blueprint here, now that you've been no hit twice, just follow the 1917 White Sox. <laughs> they had the formula. Just, they didn't mess around. You know who started almost every single game at shortstop? Swede Risberg. Okay. So even though Zeb Terry was the backup, <laughs> he played sparingly. And if they had to, they would turn to Ziggy Hasbrook or Nemo <sighs> Liebold or Happy Felsch or Chick Candle <laughs> or Bird Lynn. And you go from there. <laughs> That's right. When you get into yourself into a, a position where you don't know what to do, but you have to ask yourself, what would pants do? 
Subscribe, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify. I know we're keeping it short this week, but we have to. It is Mother's Day. We're trying to spend some time with our family, and, and Zach's got to get out too. So we will be back later this week. Um, find us over at patreon.com slash Godcast for the midweek episode. Uh, Zach, anything else you'd like to add before we get out of here? No, I, it, please make this episode title, What Would Pants Do? Because that, <laughs> that is so beautiful. Poetic. <laughs> Uh, Until later this week, where you can find us over at Patreon. We are out of here. Happy Mother's Day. See ya.